You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. I want a book that I can hand to new team members and say, read this. This is how we work. And I imagined business owners everywhere being able to do the same and just freeing ourselves. And just like you said, Charlie, I'm so grateful to know you're working on your book because I feel that you have so much more to add, like even how you've set up your team at Productive Flourishing and what you're doing with Momentum. It's such an inspiration and it's even more complex and it's next level. So I love this idea of building our own little book club of uh, what I call book RX, like for whatever ails you, you know, it's never just one thing that's the answer, but it's just tackling it from all these different ways. And, and I think uh, just for me, I, I know that so many people feel allergic to the word systems. So I had to look a little deeper and say, well, what are systems for? Why do mm-hmm. I love systems? Why do I love all these little shortcuts, tips, tricks, automations? Because they give us more free time. And who doesn't want more of that? That was Jenny Blake, repeat guest, longtime friend and collaborator, and the author of the new book, Free Time. Lose the busy work, love your business. She joins me today ostensibly to discuss her new book, but we instead fell into our natural conversation about the real goals of smart systems. To help us do our best work, free up our energy to solve pressing problems and pursue opportunities, and have the peace to let things go. Along the way, we discuss what really keeps people from building systems that help them free up their time. Hint, it's about hard work, but not in the way you might think. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Jenny, thanks so much for joining me today. I have been waiting impatiently, but waiting nonetheless for free time to come out. And um, I said it on Twitter earlier today. When I first read it, I was like, oh, snap, this is a must read. <laughs> this is a must read for business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, I read a lot of books and there's ones that are like good. And then there's ones that go on the shelf and then there are the must reads. And that's the small category of books. And free time is now on that. Oh, my um, goodness. I am so excited about this book and I'm so um actually inspired by the way you pulled it together. The design, there's so much you did right in this book that I could spend an hour unpacking it. But we're going to talk about the book and say hi again. This is actually at least our second podcast yeah. together. Maybe our third. I don't know. We've been doing the podcast for so long that sometimes I forget. Um, so last time you joined us for Pivot, and now you've pivoted for free time. And that itself is an interesting conversation because your book trajectory is life after college, then pivot, and now free time, which isn't like a natural trajectory for your body of work. Um, At least it doesn't seem externally. So tell us the story of how you ended up with free time. Well, it all started with meeting this guy called Charlie Gilkey (laughs) many years ago, over 10, over a decade now. Really, truly, though, Charlie, it's such a joy to be here. And if anybody has inspired me over the years to lean into my love of systems, it's you. Every time I talk to you, you just elevate the conversation so much. And I have to tell you, I had a little bit of imposter syndrome while writing of like, but I'm not Charlie Gilkey. <laughs> my inner voice was like, oh, Charlie needs to write this book because I just always enjoy our conversations about these topics. And you're right. It's funny. Those of us authors, creators, I know so much of your audiences as well. And I count myself among them. It, we create these little universes around ourselves. And we all know some authors will write one book and then take it all the way, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, and they're still given the same keynote. For me, I'm always, I go through something very challenging that I think is unnecessarily challenging and difficult. And when I cannot find the answer in the hundreds, now over a thousand books in my home, I get frustrated. And I Mm -hmm. feel that 
why doesn't this exist in a clearer way laid out for people? That was the impetus behind Life After College 2011. Pivot was about getting better at navigating what's next 2016. And now free time, the way that I have connected them is free time is about optimizing what's now. So a lot of people have been pivoting these last few years. Once you are in a role or a business, how do we avoid boredom and bottlenecking and burnout and bureaucracy? That's now where free time and smarter systems come in. Well, I appreciate that. As I was reading free time, I was like, man, she did this way better than I would have done it. Um, and I'm also glad I'm not, I, I no longer have to write this book. <laughs> you did it. I yes. can focus on the book that I'm currently working on, which is the, which is where my body of work is. And I, I want to highlight that because so many creators to your point feel like once you start writing about a thing that that becomes the thing you're stuck with for the remainder of your years. Um, and part of that is bad marketing and strategic advice, like focus and just do that thing, right? Without understanding, it's actually focus in time slices, <laughs> focus over a period of time to to grow a, a, a bit of your body of work, which, by the way, takes three to seven years for most people, right? To really go into that new area, figure it out, and then do what Jenny's done. So I remember you reading the seven year itch. I was like, yeah, I know what that's about, right? <laughs> it's that three to seven year mark where it's just like you fall into a hole. And some of us do. I'm, I'm with Jenny on this one. Like, I'll fall into a hole and I'll be like, okay, how have other people climbed out of this? And then you see 70 different books where you're like, well, I can stitch together all the pieces, but that's done. That's hard. <laughs> how about we put them together? Right. And then as, as business owners, I find that as a lot of business owners I know are voracious readers and learners. But then if you try to give that same book to the team, the team is kind of like, I'm bored. I'm not interested in this stuff. I don't want to read this. A lot of business books take themselves very seriously, especially books on systems. They're these like really nerdy books or really complex. And I just wanted to bring some levity to the conversation. And I think you mentioned, you know, it was a little surprising to go into free time. Part of the reason for that is I never gave myself permission to say that, raise my hand and say, I, Jenny, have something to share on systems and efficiency and creating order out of chaos. And finally, just with the pandemic and everything and my own struggles of onboarding team members, I realized I have got to get this out of my head. I want a book that I can hand to new team members and say, read this. This is how we work. And I imagined business owners everywhere being able to do the same and just freeing ourselves. And just like you said, Charlie, I'm so grateful to know you're working on your book because I feel that you have so much more to add, like even how you've set up your team at Productive Flourishing and what you're doing with Momentum. It's such an inspiration and it's even more complex and it's next level. So I love this idea of building our own little book club of uh, what I call book RX, like for whatever ails you, you know, it's never just one thing that's the answer, but it's just tackling it from all these different ways. And, and I think uh, just for me, I, I know that so many people feel allergic to the word systems. So I had to look a little deeper and say, well, what are systems for? Why do mm -hmm. I love systems? Why do I love all these little shortcuts, tips, tricks, automations? Because they give us more free time and who doesn't want more of that? I love it. Well, for me, the the interesting switch was not so much you being the systems and process queen that you are, but applying it to small business and entrepreneurship, because I haven't seen that element of your work publicly. Yeah. Now, it could be that I'm just not in the right community and not getting the right times, the right content slice of Jenny, right? I've seen more of your Well, I did. I always yeah. kept it behind the scenes because I felt self-conscious. I'm not, I don't run a multi-million dollar business. And I would look at all the other entrepreneurs, look over the fence and go, well, they clearly know more than me. And so I just, I did, I kept it behind the paywall <laughs> for so long. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. And I want everyone who's in creator businesses or ideapreneurs or whatever you want to call yourself, thought leaders, whatever. You have to stop paying attention to other people's gross revenue numbers. We're going to talk about a metric that matters here in a second, but realize like when people say, and I make multiple, I make seven figures and you see their build quote unquote build in public statements. What you might notice is often missing is their expenses. <laughs> um, 
because a lot of the bigger businesses that you might be looking at are not actually as profitable as you think, right? I'm I'm the guy that sees a lot of the P&Ls and balance statements, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's a reason you're not telling this story, <laughs> right? Um, because by the time you equalize for expenses and revenue and the fact that they're working 80 hours a week, you're like, hmm, there's a simpler way to do this than yes. what this is happening. And so, um, so many of the numbers end up, what I'm saying is so many of those numbers end up being vanity metrics that are used for other things, but they're not real business soul metrics, right? That, that really talk to what's going on in the essence of that and so on and so forth. So you got to be careful about what you absorb out there because you might be like Jenny and have some wonderful ideas and frameworks and models that would be really useful for people. Um, and it doesn't necessarily matter what level of revenue or team size you are. If it's useful for you, it's likely going to be useful for someone else. So as much as you can let go of the sort of, I'm not, I don't have my big business pants on yet. So I can't, I can't go and just share what you've got because that's what makes this ecosystem, our broader ecosystem better. Right. And are you wearing constricting business skinny jeans that don't fit? Or are you wearing flowing pajama pants, you know, that are just super comfy? I love what you said, the business soul metrics. I noticed the same thing that somebody says, oh, I'm earning seven figures. Great. If it costs you eight figures to achieve that or burnout or not seeing your family or ruining your team members' lives, I don't want that. And also sometimes the business itself is profitable, but the owner pay, the owner is like a stressed out mess managing 10 people or 20 people and struggling to ensure that everybody's salary is paid on time and that the level of pressure surpasses what they individually thrive upon. And that's something that I got clear about for myself. And even while writing the book, the reason I'm passionate about delightfully tiny teams is because I'm super introverted and I don't love the work of managing. It's okay. It's a means to an end, which is a thriving business. And I, that's why I can't wait for your book. But my zone of genius is not managing people. I don't want to manage a lot of people or be responsible, even if they're two levels down a hierarchy. I just want a delightfully tiny team that helps the work get done with joy and ease while still creating a scalable business. I'm going to come back to that, but I realize we're 10 minutes in and we haven't actually said what free time's about yet. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, you're on your um, book tour today. So I'm going to ask you, in two or three sentences, what is free time about? And P.S. I may add in a some flavor text for that because Ooh. sometimes it's useful um, to have another person's take on it. But Jenny, start. You're the author of this amazing book. What's it about? It, okay, thank you. And I, it actually is so helpful to hear other people's take because I've been so close to it now for a while. Listen, there are two quotes that kind of drive my life and how I approach things. And I'm going to start with those to tell you what it's about. One is the world of agile development. Each time you repeat a task, take one step toward automating it. Put in simpler ways, what small steps can you take today that will free your time far into the future? That is what this book is about. What little things could you do that if you would put them in place, as you said, Charlie, it's not just giving someone a fish, teaching them how to fish. It's creating a system so that no one even has to think about the fish. And I think that the mark of a good system is that it hurts more not to use it. A lot of people say they get overwhelmed. Oh, I'm not a systems thinker. I don't love technology and tools. But once you have the right thing in place, and sometimes it just takes someone flicking on the light switch in the room, oh my gosh, it makes your life easier. So this book, at the end of it all, this book is about simple strategies to free your mind, time, and team to do more of your best work and be more present in your own life when you're not working. Yeah, I love that. Um, my simpler thing, the way that I would describe it is um, it's a book that helps you make your business work for you without so much work to make it work. Oh, I love that. 
I love that. Yeah. I really want us to unhook from the factory system that doesn't work. We all know this. I'm not telling any of you anything new. We know the feeling of burnout and exhaustion and overwhelm and not having time to work out or really nurture our relationships. And I just think that even if you have worked in corporate and you start your own business, sometimes we become our own worst boss. So I just feel so passionate that I I really do think that 20 to 25 hours a week, if they're really focused and spent well, are enough. It's enough. I just want us to unshackle ourselves from these outdated systems that only create stress, pressure, and suffering. Yeah. Um, You used one of my favorite words, which was suffering, right? Um, And I'm going to take that a little bit further. The way that I use it, I'm pretty sure it's the way that you use it too, is in more of that um, Buddhist-inspired way, which pain is what happens to you. Suffering is your story and your emotional response to what happens to you, right? And so much of the business struggle isn't the pain, isn't the pain of work. It's this emotional um, psychological existential layer that we apply to things, right? And that's one of the things I love that you tackled in free time is that, um, and I see this so much when I'm working with founders, also when I'm working executives and executive coaching, is the reasons why there's so much unnecessary hard work in the system is because people place their identity value on hard work, right? And so they build systems that end up feeding and expressing their identity and their sort of feelings about the value of hard work and then wonder why everybody is working so hard. Um, so unpack that a little bit for us or give us your approach to that for free time, because I see that a lot on my side. And I think before we can really get people to embrace systems that help and work, we have to talk about this connotation between self-worth and hard work. Yeah, or just um, these linear associations or automatic associations that we make in our minds. Like, well, if I work fewer hours, I'll make less money. Says who? That's why when I was leaving Google, when you, Charlie Gilkey, gave me the courage, you were one of the people that said, not only would I, you said, I wouldn't be crazy to leave, I would be crazy to stay and not, not go all in in my own direction. That was you. That was over a decade ago. And I will you'll have, you'll be in my heart forever because of that. And so I had to ask myself, cause I was so afraid of leaving the stability of my job. I did not think I was cut out for entrepreneurship at that time. Well, I'm so afraid to end up in a van down by the river. How, what if I earn twice as much in half the time? Couldn't that happen too? Wouldn't that be a possibility as well? And so I find that when it's easy, especially as business owners, entrepreneurs to focus on what's broken, what's not working, what we're afraid of, what the worst case scenario is, but asking it in a more open-ended way, I later added, how can I earn twice as much in half the time with joy and ease while serving the highest good? That starts to open possibility up and it allows us to unhook from the messages that you are describing or an outdated inner time blueprint that we got from our parents, our family of origin, our upbringing, society, schooling. There's so many. You're in the military. There's so many systems that we are a part of as we grow up and uh, you know, as we do our own thing that are worth questioning and reconsidering and redesigning a little bit. Another thing is, I say in the book, business stress is a systems problem. It's not that you as an owner are incompetent or your team members. I mean, every now and then you have a team member who truly doesn't want to be there. (laughs) But usually when things break and they're stressful and they're bottlenecked, it's no one person's fault. It's just a systems issue. So if we can get curious about it and say, what's getting blocked here and how can we unblock it? Not just now, but into the future. That's that. So it's nothing personal. It's just not... It's not a question of skill or even being, quote, good at systems. It's just a matter of inquiring and shifting a little bit. And also when you don't know what to do, holding the possibility that an answer exists, you just haven't found it yet. Yeah. So we're using systems in the nerdy way. I know. I keep thinking about like, dang it. Well, I'll I'll unpack it so that we, (laughs) yeah. Well, so simple definition is a system is a, is a set of interconnected parts that, re- that produce a um, consistent result, right? Um, now, when you start to unpack that, 
it starts to get to what Jenny is saying. Um, you know, as I'm writing my book and I'm talking about workways and team habits, that's one of the things I keep reminding folks is that, you know, the most frustrating and surprising thing about workways and team habits is that an outcome can continue to happen, even though no one person or set of people intend for that outcome to happen, right? Systems end up creating these outcomes that are irrespective of the players in the system. Um, And I say that because, especially when I'm working with organizations and they're like, you know, Steve is a problem. I'm like, all right, so Steve's a problem. How long has Steve been a problem? Like, what problems is Steve manifesting? What behaviors are we seeing? You know, say X, Y, and Z. I'm like, okay, so just, I'm curious. Did you have those same things before you hired Steve? And they're like, oh yeah, this has been a thing. I'm like, so you had this certain outcome that happened before you hired Steve. You hired Steve and you have the same outcomes that happened. I bet we're, the problem is not Steve. <laughs> I bet the problem is your workways. Let's unpack that a little bit. And so to your point, stress is a systems problem because that's where we end. Well, it's, we need to unpack that a little bit. If you're a teammate following in on a team that's got systems or team habits or workways, whatever language you want to pick, right? And you feel that you can't change that. And you keep getting the same results that you then get (laughs) critiqued about, or you get constructive feedback or whatever the term you want to use that causes a lot of stress because your options are to continue to have that conversation or quit or what feels like sometimes fighting people (laughs) to change these systems and processes. So, Taking it a different direction, somewhat, how does free time or what what pieces of your of your book help everyone start to think about changing systems and processes so that they're not stuck in that stress loop of same thing keeps happening, but they're getting blamed for it? Yeah. Well, let me give a few examples, even on the personal front, because the way I th- with the, with the systems is like the way we're using it in the dirty way. And the way I think about it is... Just what are little tips and tricks to get this off your mind? Like, because stress, usually what I find for me, burnout and stress come from something repeatedly occurring in a suboptimal way that's creating friction that I just feel I can't escape from. And that is what really gets me, whether it's boredom, again, boredom, burnout, bureaucracy, all of those things have a similar quality of this sticky, almost like quicksand, like, ugh help get me out of this. And so with just these little levers or little switches, it it can dissolve that friction completely. So for example, I have a paper towels on subscription in our household. I looked at the cadence. When when were the last three times we ordered paper towels? Oh, it's always at the same general interval. Bam, put it on subscription. And you know what? I never have to remember to order paper towels, paper, (laughs) paper (laughs) towels again nor do they take up half my shopping cart when I go to the grocery store. We sometimes order groceries or we put in the grocery order at the same day every week. I live in New York City, so it's easy enough to get it delivered. Instead of texting a house cleaner, I was getting, I was driving myself nuts because I love a clean home, but I'm running the business and I'm doing so many other things that it would often let that fall off until the house got so dusty and full of dog hair that my childhood asthma resurfaced. Something that was clearly my body saying, hey, you, can you figure this out already? So instead of always the friction of thinking, do we need a cleaner? What's the right day? Oh, shoot, I'm out of town that day. Let me text. Oh, she's not available. Oh, what day is she free? Oh, have we spent too much on cleaning already this month? Oh, should I do it instead? You know what I did, Charlie? I found a service in New York City, put them on a weekly recurring day and time, When their cleaner can't come, they replace the person automatically. And now it's set it and forget it. And every Friday, rain or shine, whether Michael, my husband, wants them here or not, they come. Whereas in the past, I would ask Michael, is it okay if the cleaner comes Friday? It's like, oh, no, that's not a good day. Just, you know, so we all all deal with this. And I'm not saying everybody needs to have a house cleaner. But when you're running a business, it's easy enough to say, what does a cleaning person cost? Great. I'm going to use that three hours and try to earn twice as much during that time or rest twice as much during that time. And I have to say, I haven't looked back. I was a little hesitant. I thought, Jenny, I don't know. Should you be spending this much? Is this a little extravagant? And now, of course, you know how that goes. Same thing the first time I hired a VA, virtual assistant. 
is now the last thing I want to cancel. I will not buy clothing for the next year as long as I have a clean home and people helping me in my business. I get that. I'm so glad you mentioned that. So listeners for the podcast will know that Angela and I recently hired a a full-time house assistant. Um, Yes, that's the dream. Tell us everything. Um, not in this one, we're talking about your book, but yes, we'll, we'll unpack that, but it's a similar sort of scenario. It's like how much emotional and cognitive and, you know, real physical labor were we doing to keep those things taken care of? Um, and by the time we just did a full cost analysis of our time, plus how many times we were eating out versus, you know, um, all the different things we're like, actually, I think it makes more sense for us to do this. Then to continue to have that. And so we started just as inside as we're talking about this. And I'm glad we're talking about this because um, I'm going to say this, especially for our um, female entrepreneurs and business owners that are listening. Um, Some of the best dollars you will spend is getting the support for either a house assistant or things like that. Assuming you're in a um, gender normalized or gender normal sort of scenario where so much of that implicitly falls on women in our society just because of socialization. Obviously, there are differences here, and I want to acknowledge that. But for many people, even to your point, Michael was cool, like, eh, you know, maybe they don't come, maybe the dust is fine. And, and he's not- raised in a culture that would not let the man touch a single thing. He had never operated a washing machine because culturally speaking, where he's from, that would be unheard of to allow the man of the house to touch a single thing. So to his credit, he's coming around a little bit with dishes and other things, but it's just not, it's like it or not. It's just a certain part of the dynamic. And I will tell you, Charlie, I don't have to tell you almost every single book on business systems is by men, if not every single one of them. And what they don't say in those books is Who's taking care of the home front? How do the home systems work? Because there's a little fairy in the background taking care of all of it, and it's not the one writing the book. So I get really, I get off on my tangents, but I want you to tell us about this house manager. When you say full time, are we talking eight hours a day, five days a week? And are um, they, is it is the same person cooking, cleaning, grocery shopping? Like, do they have all those skills wrapped up in the same person? Yep. Wow. Absolutely. Um, so you'll like this, Jenny. Um, we we reached a point. I'll, I'll try to be brief on this one. Um, so Angela back in quarter four of last year had another concussion. So she started going on a concussion rehab program. Um, things were picking up with, in the business between the new book and Momentum, which is our new app. And there just wasn't enough of us to go around. So she actually needed to shrink her total work hours. And by total, I mean, not just business work. I mean, life work, housework and things like that. And I had also um, committed myself, and I'll pause here because listeners may know that I use the term in-house deployment, right? And an in-house deployment is when you take on either a quest or a big enough thing where it's like, I'm going to be like physically here, but that's the thing that I'm going to be working on for a while, right? And so I'm not going to be able to pick up all the sort of things. And I might like, I I will need that support. And we jointly, Angela and I, agree before I say this is an in-house deployment, like, I think it's going to take an in-house deployment to make this happen. Are you okay with that? Are we ready for the shift that's going to happen? So I had put myself on an in-house deployment for Momentum and the book. And so I couldn't just back out and be like, okay, like I can do all the things. So sat down on a Sunday afternoon down at a place near our coffee shop and listed all of the routines, all of the tasks, weekly, daily, monthly, quarterly, that it take to run our to run our home to the standard that we wanted. It's like nine pages of stuff, and I was like, "That's a job. That's a full time job." Um, neither one of us are going to be full time. Neither one of us are in the space to where we can make it part time either. So we hired for that job, um, and so um, she comes in typically. 745. Most days, some days she leaves at 330 or so to pick up her kids. Um, other days she stays until five. Um, she makes breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, does all the laundry. Um, and I've really been practicing like real delegation, sometimes called laziness, where like I'll come in from my coffee walks and 
I won't even like hang up all my clothes and sort everything. I'll just leave it in the little place because she knows where it is and she'll come behind me and put it up. Right. I'm like, that feels weird. But also we talked about that before we hired her, that that was the job. Right. So makes a big difference. Turns out. I had a friend, I, we were opening, Oh, I brought a, a box of books and I was, I was like, do you have a scissors so we can break this down? She said, no, no, our house manager does that. <laughs> She's also an entrepreneur. And I will say to everyone listening, like I'm still in a mode of dreaming about a house manager type, what Charlie just described. And that's where it starts. You don't have to know the logistics, who it's going to be, what you're afraid of. Like sometimes I worry about just having someone hovering around and <laughs> I don't get annoyed, but I think it starts with dreaming and saying, what would be possible? Who is doing something like that? What would my role for that include? Like, Charlie, I'd love to see your nine pages. And like, and then you exchange ideas. You hear from other people who are doing it. It starts to feel a little more possible. And even then you could set up a small experiment that doesn't have to be forever, but you give yourself permission to try. And I'll tell you another example, because what you were saying, Charlie, about you and Angela and both of your capacity it's like as your listeners, as your community, we would rather you work on the Momentum app than doing your laundry. Like if you gave us the choice and said, hey, crew who know and love me, where do you want me to spend my time? Like I think we would choose to benefit from your wisdom all day long. So what I noticed was earlier this year, I so a year ago, yesterday, March 21, 21, I launched the free time podcast in addition to pivot because they're two different groups. Pivoters could be anyone navigating change free time. The podcast at least is geared toward business owners. And as of January, I was still doing so much of it myself and had had team transition. I was, I like audio editing. I kind of, it's soothing to me to just sit there, listen and do this close line edit. However, things started falling through the cracks <laughs> and I, there was one Saturday where I spent six hours editing episodes and I go, shoot, like I am actively not doing important things that are required in the business backend for when the book launches that are going to generate significant revenue. I'm actively not doing them. So I hired this incredible team. They're called One Stone Creative. It's one of the biggest commitments, like for the package, I wanted their gold red carpet, like give me everything packages over $2,000 a month. And for me, that was a big decision. And it felt luxurious because the podcast does not earn nearly that in, let's say ad revenue, maybe of course, pointing to other parts of my business, private community, et cetera. I will tell you now, Charlie, we're, we're two months into hiring them. It is the best decision that I made. It freed me up completely for this launch to be here with you and I realized as hesitant as I was to pry my little fingers off this one area and invest the money on faith, not knowing if it was going to be the right investment. It's just a, the, the clarity and the freedom in my mind, in my energy is what is allowing me. And you know what? I did do a beta launch for my free time dashboard that generated 15 grand just with the beta group, the, the limited release to my core people. So boom, there it is. It already paid for five months of podcast editing, you know? So I, I just share this of like, sometimes we hesitate, I think. We hesitate to take these leaps. And yet, so often in my experience, they really do pay off. They do. And there are layers to this, right? And so um, I I know there are people who, because just been around it long enough, so like, oh, well, that's great for you. That's great privilege for you to be able to hire them. It's like, actually... I've spent 14 years building a business to be able to pay for things like this, right? So if you want to call that privilege, okay, right? Um, so it's not like I started day one and this is something like I did not grow up in a place where my family and community were talking about house assistants and house managers. Oh, my was, gosh. Right? I think so, my family would be horrified if they knew what I spent yeah, <laughs> on some level. Um, yeah. At the same time, like it's a less – much less than the cost of me facilitating for a day. Like I can do the thing that I'm best at <laughs> that the world needs most from me in that one day. And then give like the, the things lined up where she was looking for a job and she actually needed this job. She's got four kids going through a divorce, needed to have this type of job, had the perfect set of skills. So I'm like, not only is Angela and I over here suffering, unable to do these things, by not doing this, there's some other person in the world who actually does need this job. It is a job, 
right? And wants this job that I'm denying them that sort of things. And since then she's been able to like move into a better place and house and her kids are doing better. Like all those things that happen. Right. And I think we don't talk about that enough when we start talking about delegating outsourcing. I sometimes call it smart sourcing. I love that. Is that the things that you hold on to, there's some special kind of person out there in the world that loves to do that thing that actually economically needs to do that thing. So here you are doing this thing you don't want to do. That's not your best fit. It's not actually recovery for you. And someone else out there in the world looking to do that same thing, needing it to pay their rent and take care of their kids. And there's just a mismatch. I think when we step back, I'll I'll go slightly spiritual on this one. One of the great tragedies of the world is that it's not that there's not enough around. It's that the people, we don't have a good exchange or people who have too much and people who have too little right? Of whatever the good is. The more that we can actively think about a flow of goods, good could be a job, good could be just getting to use your talent in a certain world for a purpose aligned, in a a certain way for a purpose aligned business. That's a good, that's a social good. The more that we can exchange those goods and free that up, it's not just about freeing time. It's about freeing human potential, right? Expressed in time, of course. But that's what this is really about. So that's the other thing that Angela had, and I had to take seriously. Is here we are in our philanthropy work and in our nonprofit work talking about what we can do to build a better community and ecosystem in Portland. And this was one of the ways. It's one person, but that's one person, right? Each one reach one, right? So there's that aspect that I would slide your way, Jenny, and for any other listeners, is just imagine the people in your community who actually need and want this work that you don't want to do and see how that sits with you. And that's also why I think it's not just time, it's also energy. So treating those people really well. So this isn't about exploiting anyone at all. I like to pay often more than someone asks. And I've done that where I've hired, I remember Michael, he was so shocked because again, like culturally it's such a different thing. He recommended his friend as a photographer for the pivot launch party. The guy did such a great job. I paid him double. I just didn't think that he charged me enough for what he, what he did. And Michael was shocked because he comes from a culture of negotiations And so I think it's very important. It's at least important to me that anyone in my universe, they're treated well, they're treated kindly, they're paid well, that the work is joyful for them. You know, I don't love working with people where I can tell it's not something they want to do. So like you said, Charlie, it's when there's a mutual fit. And then I find the energy exchange is, is super energizing for both, both sides, for all sides. Well, and that's one of the things we have to take seriously in all teams including family teams and family groups, we one of the things we inject into the system is energy and emotions. So if someone is dreading it or they're frustrated or they're anxious or whatever that is, it is near impossible for that not to be injected into the system, right? Um, and then you end up in places where people are feeling weird. We've seen this throughout COVID, right? Because of the stress of COVID and the, like we're dealing with record levels of burnout and things like that. Partially what's going on is that the stress of our outside life, especially the stress that we've been under, that's got to go somewhere, right? And when you've been in rooms and, you know, you haven't been walking around, you haven't been doing your normal social energy, it doesn't go there. So where does it go? Into your work and into your team, right? And if you don't, as a leader, manager, and teammate, acknowledge that, then what you end up with is in this weird state where everybody's just a little anxious. Or they're just a little on edge or frustrated or toasty, or they're dealing with the burdensome bees of bottleneck board or burnt out, which is I'm stealing from Ginny. Um, and you're like, what's going on? What do we need to fix? And sometimes it's not the business, actually. It's not your systems. It's just building containers where people can share that energy and have a place for it to go. Because if it doesn't go somewhere, it goes into collaboration and it goes against your teammates rather than with and for your teammates. And that, that going back to the home stuff, that energy spillage, or it can also happen in the negative, like Michael and I would fight about how messy the house was, or we would get into these little tiffs or resentment would build or on both sides. Like I'd be resentment that the house wasn't cleaner. He would be resentful that I was making him put things away. And so, so it's like, 
it, whatever there's tension that is persisting there again, it was like, okay, there's a solution for this. My friend Christine calls it a sacred third solution that Mm -hmm. instead of the tug of war, it's either this or that, or this power struggle or the growing again, persistent feelings of dissatisfaction. Like that has a cost as well. That's a leak. It's a leak in the system or a leak in your energy reserves, your energy bank account. And so that's why the dream for a house manager like you have, it's, it's one of these saying, okay, there's a sacred third solution here. There is a way to transcend the tug of war of who's going to do this, you or me. And now both of us are unhappy. Anyway, you slice it. What is the sacred third? And and the thing that is so empowering for business owners, yes, it is a privilege to run your own business. And you also inherit a lot of stress and pressure all the time, all the time, especially during a pandemic. But what we get to ask as business owners is, how can I generate this? How can I earn to cover this investment? Not just yes or no, can I have it or not? It's just a how question. Yeah, well... The thing that we can't, when you look at the bottleneck and chief constraint of a business, it's, I would argue, not even time. It's actually energy, right? Energy and attention and good. We'll, we'll talk about what Cal talks about, like in deep work time, right? But there's some level of quality, best energy that is the limiting constraint to your business. You can't make more of it per se, right? There's just a limited amount of time of it or a limited amount of it. And we forget as entrepreneurs and business owners, it's sometimes, oftentimes, most times easier for us to make money than it is for us to make time. And if you look at it from that perspective and you look at, okay, in my life, so we're talking about this personal business dance that we're in, right? In my life, where is time and energy being soaked up in a way that's not nourishing for me? Now, I'll pause here. There are some people who love cooking. Great, cook. There's some people who love gardening. Great, do that, right? It's a recovery block for you. It's, it's really that sort of time for you. Absolutely do that. But what if you got to do that while most of the other things that you dread or that you're not great at was covered by someone else? that you created a great economic and sort of social container for like this great work. They get paid well to do that so that you can actually enjoy gardening and not be in that place where you're gardening while waiting for the dishes to run while laundry's in the background, while, you know, you're doing 18 other things because you're trying to get it all done in that same amount of time. Turns out you're corrupting the thing that you love because you're stacking so many other things that you don't love into it that you can't, either enjoy the thing or really be effective at the other things. Yeah, so true. And I love what you said about energy as well, especially for creatives. Again, so much of the PF crew, it's without, I mean, our long ago, I used to say your body is your business because as the owner or creator in chief, if your body's run down and you're tired and worn out and stressed, we all know that feeling, nothing really comes of that. Nothing that you create from that place really has that extra sparkle to it, that extra quality. And that's why I say in the book, how we bake is as important as what we make. That I don't believe that if you are stressed out and miserable creating a product, that it's actually going to do that well in the world. So I'll take that to the spiritual realm that on an energetic level below the surface, people will be able to sense the energy of something. And um, yeah, every now and then you see, well, people, (laughs) people can be quite successful being belligerent bullies and whatnot, that unfortunately, the way our society is set up. But for the most part, if you're a heart based creator, I just believe that if we bake with ease and joy and kindness and compassion and enough rest and enough of that good energy, that has intangible qualities that get infused that will help something fly so much farther in the world than doing it with stress and tension and complaints. Absolutely. Well, the outcome of that is almost always better, but also the process is such that you don't, where we end up in, in so many times is finite games. So, all right, listeners, just walking at finite and infinite games, like finite games are games you play to win. Whereas infinite games are games you play to play, right? Finite games typically have rules, metrics to to get a certain outcome, and you play it only for that. Infinite games, 
are really flexible, fluid, so on and so forth. Um, yes, Simon Sinek has a book on this, um, but also read Richard Carlson's Finite and Infinite Game. We'll link up in the in the show notes. I just point it down like y'all, like I'm watching YouTube, y'all. I love it. <laughs> right. I was like, it's in the show notes. I'm pointing yeah. down because that makes sense on a podcast. Um, but when we end up creating these delightfully tiny teams and we start thinking about flow and joy, purpose, those types of things, we actually end up creating infinite games for ourselves where we play to play. Um, and there's the outcome of that play is profit and joy and impact and all those types of things. But you end up being able to do that. Like, Jenny, you'll like this. I was talking to Angela about something we're building. And she was talking about, like, yeah, it's going to take a while. And I was like, eh, yeah, we're gonna, probably going to be spending the next four decades building this. What else are we going to be doing? <laughs> right? That's what we're doing. So you get yourself in a position to where when you're playing infinite games and you're playing and you're designing businesses to have free time or free energy and like that, you break that burn it down cycle or that I'm doing this thing and this one thing has to win. And, you know, if it doesn't win, I'm going to be in the van down by the river. And if it does win, I'm going to be freaked the F out because then I won't know what to do with myself and I'll have pushed myself out of integrity and I'll be burned out. Like we keep creating these no win games merely because we're playing finite games that sometimes are not a great fit for us in the start. Right. And that those finite outcomes aren't where happiness lies, <laughs> you know, like the, one of the opening lines to the book from Thich Nhat Hanh, there is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. And I say the same at the end, there is no way to free time. Free time is the way because otherwise when we get to these pinnacle achievements, even if you happen to win the finite game, then you're not any happier. You're not any freer. You just have this stamp on your great resume in the sky of who you are, but it's not, doesn't affect the day to day. And even like this podcast, you know, I think I love having a podcast. It's so rewarding. And you and I both know, Charlie, like the amount of work that goes in and the expense of all the factors, time, energy, money, et cetera. It's the, it's not proportional, like unless yeah. you're Joe Rogan. For most of Paris. us, yeah. For so many of us, it's it's not as it's not a direct correlation. Uh, at least if you put it in the profit bucket in marketing, sure. However, we come on like the infinite game is that we get to sit here and catch up and have a conversation, and neither one of us is like, I wonder how many downloads this conversation will get. The the infinite game of it is so fun to play. And then the finite aspects are icing on the cake, but so, so in the background. Absolutely. Um, just as a side note, y'all, um, free content isn't free. Somebody pays for that. I'm not saying like anything about whether you subscribe or pay for anything, but just a lot of times I say that because people are like, oh, it's free content. They open up Spotify, they do the, it's free. And it's like, no, it's free for you. Somebody oh, pays for that, that's right? That's true. Um, and even if we're um, in an infinite game where we're playing and we're enjoying this, turns off there's a finite game where somebody's got to pay some money to make that happen, right? And so um, not to make anyone feel shamed or anything like that, but I, I want us to think about like how we are how we are directing things. And the reason I say that is I say about the con free content isn't free. I think a lot of people aren't sharing their best work because they're like, well, how am I going to get paid for it? So on and so forth. And I understand that. I really, really do. Um, but you have to look at, and, and my team has been talking about this a lot. There are the economic metrics and then there are the non-economic metrics, right? Um, sometimes I call them the business soul metrics, right? Both are important. Um, sometimes you find those outlets where they overline nicely, right? Or they overlay nicely and it's a one for one. I can do a thing. Like facilitation is that way for me, especially if I'm leading strategy retreats. Love it. Super fun for me. Um, I would probably do it for free if I didn't have to, but no one listening, I'm not going to do it for free. Um, but those line up really well. Podcast, maybe don't. Weekly newsletters, often don't. Um, and that's what we have to think of when we think about our body of work sometimes is if we look per unit, this is a weird thing that you have to think about with systems. So we're going back into Nerdland. Everybody, come back into Nerdland with us. Where we break down in our systems analysis is when we take a discrete instantiation of an element and try to assess that 
we almost never will choose to either invest or fix that thing. So let me make that more concrete. Um, for business owners, I've seen this time and time again. I'm like, how much would you pay for one subscriber? And the answer is usually zero. But if it's like, well, how much would you pay, assuming it was a good subscriber, so on and so forth? Well, what would you pay for 10000 Well, the answer is usually more than zero, right? Well, how did we go from zero of one, right, or one at zero to 10000 at 10000 It seems like we would do the backwards math to say, wait a second, I need to spend a dollar for a subscriber. That's the type of thing. And so how much would you pay to write one newsletter or to have one great newsletter published? Most of us would say zero. What would you pay to have 52 kick-ass, solid, published newsletters out there in the world? Most of us will say more than zero, right? Um, as you start thinking about your work, you have to think about think about systems, I should say. You have to think about that. So go back to Jenny's thing, what she was saying earlier about having the housekeeper come over once. How much would you pay for one? Uh, probably not a whole lot. How much would she pay to not have to worry about that for an entire year? Probably a lot more. <laughs> um, so that's one of the things to get caught up in when you start thinking about the systems in your business and what you want to fix is don't necessarily think about the discrete element of that. And we're about to go into the chief, you know, everything officer or the all seeing question answerer. Like it's the same problem, basically. Like um, many business owners and managers get caught in the loop where they have to answer everything. And they're like, well, that one question doesn't make sense to delegate. It doesn't make sense to build a system around. I don't need a management book for that one question. That takes way too much time. Um, but it's not the one question. So it never is. It and never I also is. find that sometimes we get stuck thinking, oh, oh, what system do I need to design? The question is, like, even your the house cleaner example, it's not how much would I pay that someone comes every week? It's how much would I pay to always to have a clean home on an annual basis that every week the house would sparkle at least once a week, if not the rest of the days. And who knows, maybe at some point there are services now people are piloting in New York where they come every day for an hour, just like hotel turnover service. Anyway, the point is in your business and anything, you can ask, what is my ideal outcome? What does harmony look like? What is the oasis in the middle of this desert? And if you think about the end state and what is ideal, then it becomes much easier to brainstorm to solve it. But a lot of people just think, oh, this is broken. What system do I need? And they skip that step of crafting the vision, the ideal outcome, the ideal end state. And that's where I find the most creative solutions come from. Yeah. Um, so a trick for that is, and I use this a lot with my clients, to break that sort of thing, we always start with in an ideal world. In an ideal world, what would happen? Or in an ideal world, what do you want? And the reason I've learned to do that is it gives people a space to dream and not be caught into the constraints of the day-to-day, -day, right? Um, it's like in an ideal world, what would you like your home to look like and feel like, Jenny? Like, what would the, and you might be like, and usually people can go and they'll just go down a list of what it would look like. And then I'm like, okay, now we know that we can start backwards doing that almost inevitably. The tension point, I want to go back to the mindset piece is not how we would make that happen. It's is are my needs and desires worth prioritizing. That's where it will get to. Um, and if you don't unlock that piece, you'll have plan on plan on plan, option on option on option, right? Um, that's where it comes back to. And that's where we, Jenny starts talking about, well, what would feeling taken care of, like being taken care of really feel like? What would that open up in your world? Um, and so a lot of people listening to this one, I was going to mention this earlier, Jenny, um, a lot of people listening to this are um, high achievers, almost chronic high achievers. Um, and we place so much value. I say we, because Jenny's nodding, I'm nodding. You're probably nodding too if you're listening to this. We place such value on constantly working hard, on constantly building something that it becomes unfathomable for us to be like, actually, what's going on? Or I'll back up. 
at a certain point, we have to realize it's not just about taking work away from us because we're going to fill that back up with something else. It's learning to really understand what free time means for us. And free time doesn't mean you have to do something productive. It doesn't mean that you, it doesn't just mean discretionary time. It can mean a lot of different things, but um, if you read free time and you should, if you're a business owner, not should, I hate the word should as a coach. It's a great book. If you're trying to open up more free time and free energy in your book, in your business, understand that part of that journey will be you being comfortable with having and using free time and not just filling it back up with more stuff to be productive and to stay on the hamster wheel. Yes, that too, for sure. And making trade-offs. For example, I said this on our good friend Jonathan Fields show that if I wanted to be phenomenal at email, I could easily fill the rest of my time. So all that time I freed up by working 20, 25 hours a week, if I wanted to be the best email responder ever and the quickest replier to texts and what whatnot, I could easily work 40 or 50 hours a week. So for me, it's also a question of trade-offs then in order to feel how I want to feel and be healthy and work out and read and spend family time, what am I willing to be bad at? And for me, I'm just willing to be bad. I'm willing to be a slow poke at email and put the snail back in the email. I, it's okay with me. I'm sorry. I, if it offends people, I try to let my good friends and colleagues know. I try to have team members step in when things are for client work. It's time sensitive. But beyond that, I just released the pressure that this kind of default, what Cal Newport, you mentioned, deep work calls the hyperactive hive mind that just because tools like email and text messaging and Slack exist doesn't mean I need to become a jumpy mess all day, splitting my attention a thousand ways. So like I told my team, Slack makes me jumpy. Use it when something is truly time sensitive and you, it is time sensitive. If not, we use Notion, put it with the associated task and, and I'll get to it. And if you haven't heard back from me in time, you got to remind me. However, to just ask me regular questions on Slack, no, I don't need a heart attack for that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are going through similar things at Team PF right now. Um, the Basecamp crew was wrong about a lot of things last year, but they were right about the about Slack being an all-day meeting with no agenda, right, with unknown participants, right? That was a Jason and Free then, thing. And then, yeah, and then it's not it's not organized. Like this is what drives me nuts. Even if you have channels in Slack, everything's just one long stream. Whereas if you have proper manager manuals, what I call it, but SOPs, process documentation, if you have a proper task tracker, if you have proper projects set up, again, all of this for my team is in Notion. The communications about that work live in their proper place. And therefore it makes more sense when nobody remembers what you did or talked about a year from now how easy is it to find? And I will tell you, it's not going to be in a random, never-ending river of a Slack channel. <laughs> yeah. I think that's something that I'm always thinking about. How can I be kind to my future self? How can I make it easier for Jenny a year from now to find this? Or I'll tell my team when I just hired someone to help me with email, finally, it's again, my perpetual Achilles heel of systems is email. And I said, I want us to imagine that in three months, we are creating the most comprehensive guide to answering Jenny's email that if we brought on a new person, neither of us could meet with them and they would still know what to do. What if we were not able to speak to that new person even once? They're coming in three months. Are we ready? Are we going to be ready? Is this guide complete? Is it thorough? And that is a gift to my future self as well, because sure enough, team turnover happens. It's inevitable. We're all pivoting now, left and right. It's normal. It's what's what's going on. So for my future self, I don't want to have to explain it all again. (laughs) This is, it's like you said, they call it strategic laziness. Tim Ferriss has written about it, Andrew Wilkinson. Strategic laziness, and it's also a programming adage that actually to be strategically lazy is a good thing because you will do things that are better for everybody in the long run. Absolutely. Well, and it's kind of like I've talked about with writing tasks or building projects is I've said, write it as if you're writing it for some other person, not just yourself. And the reality is, especially if you're thinking about projects that are go over time, there are some future version of yourself that won't remember all the context that you remember right now. It is a different person reading this sort of thing. So how do you write it so that future version of yourself, to use your same point, can walk in and be like, oh, sweet. 
I took care of myself, right? And every day, it's that's how we get sort of, you know, the cumulative gains of systems. Is if you just make it a little bit you know, better every day, then three months from now or three years from now, you walk in on something you're like, wow, a lot of this is figured out. I don't have to figure this all out again, right? Um, and actually figuring out how to figure it out is also documented, <laughs> right? And so um, you, you reach that level of point. And that's where, as we start to wrap up this conversation, again, we can talk a lot, all day, all day. day. (laughs) Um, What we are going to continue to stress, I say we, because again, we're, we're in the systems land here is people get overwhelmed because they think of the full system and they try to change everything or they try to tackle on the really big things. And that's not actually the best place to start. Just like when we're building any other habit, we don't start with the very hardest thing to do and then wonder why we struggle. We start with tiny habits. We start with tiny systems changes, right? And then we build up over time because if your system's broken in a way, time is not working for you. As you start to make your system work for you, you start to get back time. So Jenny, if you had to guide us into a place to start, a simple way to start besides reading free time, where would you guide us in to start fixing or start building our system to work better for us? I love what you said about tiny, starting small. I totally second that. Just give yourself permission to start small. In the book, the primary diagnostic is where are you in friction and where are you in flow? So I would say identify one friction area at home or work that you're in pain about. It's actively causing you frustration and discomfort. And just ask, like hold it as an inquiry. What would this look like if it were easy? And what my mantra, let it be easy, let it be fun. My friend Leanne, she has a great podcast and platform as well. She says, how can I fall in love with this again? So you don't even have to have the answer after listening to this, but just identify a friction area and ask, how can I fall in love with this again? Or what is one small next step I could take that would make the biggest impact? So in the example we've been using of the house manager, sure, maybe you have no clue who it is, but could you write the description? Could you do what Charlie did and just take an inventory and get it on paper out of your head? Because those steps, uh, there's a saying I love, you can't see the open doors until you start walking down the hallway. And by just taking these initial steps, identifying the friction area, letting yourself dream a little bit, taking one small next step, that's when new possibilities start to emerge. And even serendipity, things that you never saw coming, couldn't expect, meet the perfect person at the perfect time, it all starts to open up. I love that. Um, As today's guest, you get to leave our listeners with a challenge or an invitation, depending upon which one resonates with you. So what would you invite or challenge our listeners to do based upon what we've talked about? I would invite you to do less. That so much of free time and at the end of every chapter is permission. And that permission is to be a little bit radical. Like, can you do less? Can you take a day off in the middle of the week? Can you build a DNS do not schedule recurring block on the Wednesday of every week? Some radical thing that you've never given yourself permission to do. So I'm giving you examples large and small. I would say do less, look what you can drop. And also I'm a big fan of blocking off for that deep work that Charlie mentioned. We get this brilliant term from Cal Newport. Can you put a block on your calendar at your, when you are at your energetic best that nobody else can schedule over. And if it's one hour a day, two hours a day, but claim that for yourself, claim it now, put it on repeat and know that your best energy in any given day is protected. I love that. And if you need more things you might allow yourself to do, page 293 of free time has <laughs> at least 20. Oh, yeah, it yes. has 20. 20 ways. That's what Jenny does is not only gives you the idea, but plenty of practical steps, tools, systems. Um, You can go and if you go to itsfreetime.com, we'll link up in the show notes. Um, You'll get a lot of her toolkits, a lot of those things that are pre-made that you can fall in on. And so I'm going to up Jenny's ante from the invitation. Can't wait. And I'm going to go from not just can you do it, but will you? Until next time, 
Um, actually, I'm going to pause. Denny, thanks so much for joining us. I'm sure we're going to be in conversation about other things here real soon, um, but it's always a treat to have you on the show. And thank you for joining us. But also, thank you for writing Free Time. The world needed it. And now so many of us can move on to whatever our next body of work is because that one's done. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is such a treat, Charlie. You've been such an important person to me in my career and to even get to this point. So thank you for all the genius and for leading the way in this arena. I've learned so much from you. And you're so with me in spirit with this book. And I even knew you were already working on your next one that I know they're going to be cousins. <laughs> Uncle Charlie, as I told you in text. Yeah. And I want to say to everybody listening, if you're still here, you survived all our systems talk. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. And I also have a podcast, Free Time with Jenny Blake, if you want to look it up wherever you're listening to this one. So thanks again, Charlie. Thank you for having me. All right, listeners. So you heard it from Jenny. There are a lot of tools that you can use to create some more free time for yourself. The only question is, will you? Until next time, stand tall and start finishing. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that'll help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. 